Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hupka, the 2021 Vice President of Finance for the Metro DC chapter of ATD. Hi, I'm Leticia Niego, Vice President of Learning. And I'm Christina Eanes, Director of Virtual Programs. We are also joined today by Helena Hodges, Director of Technology and Operations, who's our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing a resilience expert, former U.S. diplomat, creator of the U.S. Department of State Center for Excellence in Foreign Affairs Resilience, and our chapter member, Beth Payne. Welcome, Beth. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is a real pleasure. Well, we are so excited, and I feel like this topic probably couldn't come at a better time for so many of us. And before we jump in today, we would love it if you would share a little bit about yourself with our listeners and a little bit about how you came to really get into the field of resilience. Sure. So for over two decades, I was a U.S. diplomat, and I was posted overseas, and I you know, worked in U.S. embassies and U.S. consulates. But in 2003, I was the U.S. consul in Baghdad, Iraq, and survived a pretty scary situation where I thought, you know, I was going to die. And I left that assignment with the gift of post-traumatic stress disorder. And after recovering, I immersed myself in resilience research, just looking for ways I could have prevented this mental injury and ways I could help others being assigned to really hard places. And what I discovered just changed my life and my career because I learned that resilience is not just important for people in dangerous situations, but resilience skills and tools can help anyone manage stress and overcome challenges. Um, I applied what I learned as a leader uh, in the State Department. I ran our consulate in India. I ran several large offices in DC. And I really discovered that resilience was such an incredible key to success. And so that's why I created the Center of Excellence in Foreign Affairs Resilience to create resilience training for foreign affairs professionals. And now I'm um, on my own in the private sector, providing these same um, skills and tools to nonprofits and companies in the private sector. What an amazing story. I mean, I am floored by the experience that you have, the situations you found yourself in, and I'm so glad that we have an opportunity to benefit from some of your knowledge in this area. I mean, that's incredible. And as we start thinking about resilience, I feel like resilience is sometimes the kind of word that gets used or maybe even misused from time to time. I would love to know how you define resilience and also a little bit about how resilience impacts us in our professional lives in the workplace. Yep. So resilience really, in my view, is that capacity to adapt successfully in the presence of risk and adversity. It's that ability to perform despite trauma, despite chronic stress. And it's also the ability to bounce back or even bounce forward after setbacks or trauma or high stress. And so it's not just to prepare people for dangerous environments, it's to really prepare us for life. Because if we focus on our state of resilience all the time, we'll be ready for whatever is coming. And coronavirus is the perfect example. I don't think any of us a year ago could have predicted that you know, there would be this pandemic outbreak 
those of us who worked on keeping our state of resilience high and really trained for resilience, we were more adaptable, flexible, capable, and able to change and really adapt to the new environment with a global pandemic. I think that makes complete sense. And it's interesting that you mentioned that in some cases, it was a little easier for individuals or perhaps even teams to make that transition. Sometimes you're a bit more prepared than others. So I'm wondering, when you're thinking about the workplace, what does resilience typically look like? What types of qualities or traits do resilient people or resilient teams demonstrate that others may not? So when people are highly resilient and teams are highly resilient, they're more adaptable, they're more flexible, they're amazing problem solvers. They can see ahead so they can plan for the future. They collaborate more effectively and they accomplish so much more. And I saw this when I ran the Office of Children's Issues in the State Department. Um, I you know, started my my tour there and people were really struggling. It was a highly stressful work environment. And we really struggled to solve problems and we struggled to reform. So I focused as the leader on resilience. All I wanted to do was increase the resilience of the individuals on my team, as well as increase the resilience of the team itself. In three years, what we were able to accomplish was incredible. We started to work more effectively with other people. We started to anticipate problems. We were so much more effective at our problem solving and we're so much more innovative. And, and it was also more fun. Like we just had a much better time together as a team because we were having so many more successes than we had in the past. It's interesting that you mentioned fun as being a component of that, because I, I think that when we think of work, sometimes we don't always realize that there are ways that we can make it more fun and resilience might actually play a role in what that can look like. Absolutely. You know, when people develop the resilience skills and they learn how to use the resilience tools, they're more successful and they get along with each other better. And all of that equates to enjoying your work environment so much more. I also want to ask you about the other side to that. So we know that resilience can help work to feel more fun, but especially in the context of what so many of us have been through in the last year with the pandemic, with the transition from perhaps working in an in-person environment to a virtual environment, so many things have been kind of piling up for us. And a lot of times what that leads to is stress additional stress in our personal lives, as well as our professional lives. I was wondering if you could speak a bit to how stress can impact resilience and our ability to be able to act in a resilient way. Absolutely. So there is no question that we have been in a chronic stress environment for over a year. And it's accepting that inevitably this will erode our resilience. You know, resilience is all about recognizing that we are human beings. We are not robots. And that under chronic stress, it is normal to see our resilience erode. And we shouldn't expect to always be, you know, in high resilience and be great. Like, it's accepting that I'm more irritable now because of coronavirus. I'm not sleeping as well. You know, maybe my memory has slipped. Maybe I'm, you know, more moody. That's these are signs of low resilience and it's normal. And it's okay to talk about it. 
you know, when we allow our teams to talk about, wow, I'm having a really hard day, you know, I'm finding myself just getting more irritable. And we acknowledge and say, yeah, and that's okay, because we're under this enormous stress and it's okay to feel the impact. You know, no one's superhuman. This is affecting all of us. Here, I teach resilience for a living and I struggle to, to maintain my resilience. I often slip into low resilience because of coronavirus. And if I do this for a living and I slip into low resilience, I am sure that many other people are struggling as well. I really appreciate you taking a moment to feel, to make all of us feel a little more human in some of that, because I think you're totally right. And an observation I made, especially early into the pandemic, but something I think continued on was that when you would jump onto video calls, you know, we went from in-person meetings and phone calls much more into the world of Zoom, where everybody is sort of in front of a video camera all the time. One of the things that I noticed right off the bat is that people would ask a very simple question, which was usually along the lines of, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And the answers that came from that often were far more personal than what you might have expected from other situations. And it almost seemed like people were really reaching out for that human connection in a way. People are desperate for human connection. Remember, social support is one of the five factors of resilience. You know, there are five factors that we need to incorporate into our lives to be resilient. Self-care, problem solving, positive outlook, meaning and purpose, and social support. And so when we're under chronic stress, like we've been under for the last year, we, we need this even more than we would normally. So we need the social support desperately right now, both with you know, friends and family, but also with colleagues. We, we need to, to, to see each other, even if it's virtually, and to still have that human connection with each other. Some of us are really isolated too. Remember, there are some singles that live alone that have very little human conduct, contact. And it's really important for them to continue to build the social support until we're finally able to gather together with other people. I think that's such an important point and such an important consideration when we're thinking about how we are reacting to situations versus how somebody else might react to the same situation. And it leads me to wonder, what tips would you share for all of our listeners as far as becoming more resilient? What can we do? What practices should we be focused on? What should we be thinking about in terms of our interactions with others that can help us to display or to become more resilient? So the first thing is to remember to take care of yourself. And this is, you know, eating well, um, sleeping seven to nine hours a night, getting your exercise and taking time to recover, taking time to rest your brain is what I call it. Do hobbies that force your brain to focus on only one thing at a time and carve out the time for that. Resist the temptation to work 24 seven because we're all working virtually. And many of us, you know, we do want to do some errands during the day and maybe do some work in the evening, which is perfectly appropriate. But remember, you know, put aside your work and focus on your personal life and your family and, you know, take some vacation. Many people are not taking vacation because they don't want to waste vacation days, but they're burning out. They're just getting worn out. So take a few days of vacation and do a staycation. Even if you can't go anywhere, at least take time away from work for recovery. 
The other thing is to practice some of the problem solving skills. And my favorite for coronavirus is staying in your sphere of control. And that's really just focusing on what could you control or influence and then accept what is outside of your control or influence. So we were just talking about, you know, getting vaccinated. You know, I just had to accept that I could not influence or control the date I would get vaccinated. And so when I would start to worry and ruminate about getting vaccinated, I would just tell myself, no, that's out of your control. Stop thinking about it. Just accept that someone else is going to tell you when it's time to get vaccinated. We also need to have a positive outlook. It's really healthy to look for the good from the last year. You know, what happened this year that we're actually happy for? So for example, I now have weekly Zoom calls with my family and I've never talked to my family this much ever. Like we are much closer as a family because of coronavirus, even though we live in different locations around the country. And so that's a good thing that's come out of coronavirus that I don't wanna forget. I don't wanna only think about the negative. And then make sure you're finding meaning and purpose in your life. Are you still volunteering? Are you, you know, engaging in your hobbies? Are you finding meaning at work? You know, make sure that you're not giving up the the meaning and purpose. And if you have a hobby that's not good for coronavirus, you know, maybe you have a hobby, you like to do, you know, swing dancing, which you can't do anymore, then develop a hobby that's your coronavirus hobby until you can get back to that hobby that coronavirus makes really difficult. And then the last is making sure you have your social support network, you know, reach out to people, even if it has to be virtual or, you know, meet up with friends outdoors in a safe manner. Um, Make sure that you're really, really giving the social support to others, but also soliciting social support from others. Those are phenomenal tips. I especially love the idea of finding a hobby. First of all, you never know what might last even beyond the pandemic. And I've seen a lot of friends get into things like cross-stitching, which, you know, maybe before the pandemic would not have been at the top of the list. But, you know, finding opportunities to broaden your horizons and to be able to try something new, challenge yourself a little bit. I love the concept of positivity as it connects into all of that. And you also get me thinking about the flip side. So those are wonderful tips for how you can build resilience in your life. What about in the workplace? How can employers encourage resilience in organizations and with their teams? So first, the, you know, leaders need to model good resilience behaviors. So they need to practice these five resilience factors, but practice it openly so that other people can see them doing it. Don't lecture, you know, don't tell people what to do. Just engage in the behavior or explain what you are doing. And that modeling will give people permission to do the same and encourage them to do the same. Then they need to mentor their colleagues and employees. That means, you know, reaching out to people who are struggling and asking them open-ended questions and then listening to them. And don't problem solve, ask good problem-solving questions that help them achieve, like them come up with the solutions uh, and a way forward. And then last, they need to foster the resilience of the team. You know, we talk about the seven C's of team resilience, building connections, making sure people have the competency they need, um, you know, having good communication, demonstrating commitment, 
you know, they really need to think about, is their team functioning well as a team? And leaders need to actively foster the resilience of that team. So it's just three basic things. They need to model good resilience behaviors, mentor employees and colleagues, and foster the resilience of their teams. Those are wonderful tips. And they're so actionable. They're the kinds of things that organizations really can think about very in a very clear-cut way, how to implement them, how to encourage them within organizational behavior. I absolutely love that. And I love the reminder, almost that focus on the fact that these are organizations run by humans, supported by humans. And at the end of the day, that's exactly what we are. And resilience is just such a very human need and a very human function for us. I love it. Absolutely. And I, I, I can never stress enough. We are humans, not robots. We are humans, not positions. So I, I hate the use of titles in the workplace. It's okay to have a title, but never refer to somebody by their title. They're a human being. Use their name. And we all have vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And so as a leader, it's okay to show your vulnerability. It makes you more human. When we pretend we don't have vulnerabilities, we appear to be more robotic. And that's not helping. So I encourage everybody to be the wonderful human being that you are. I love that you say that, Beth, because I just had a conversation on that today about how it's important to relate to other humans as humans and stop maybe thinking in hierarchical terms. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really dislike the use of titles in the workplace. Like, don't yeah. call me, hey, the vice president for, you know, X said Y. No, you know, Susan Smith said Y. <laughs> I love it. I love how you talk about this whole pandemic time is actually making us take a closer look at resilience. And for some of us, it's a whole new perspective that maybe we needed to have. You know, it's going to help us in the future. So it's very similar to what happened to me um, when I was in Iraq and I got post-traumatic stress disorder. So, yeah, I struggled. Yeah, it was really challenging and difficult. But then I learned all these resilient skills and tools. And not only did I recover from the post-traumatic stress disorder, but I actually became much more effective as a leader, as a colleague, as a friend, as a family member. Like learning these resilient skills and tools just made me a better person overall. And so if this pandemic causes people to discover resilience and develop these skills and tools, that's going to be one of the good that comes out of coronavirus because it's going to help you for the rest of your life. It's, it's amazing the impact this can have on you. Post-traumatic growth. Yep. <laughs> yep. Okay. We are at that point in the episode, Beth, where we like to do the rapid fire questions. Great. Are you ready for some rapid fire? I am. Yay. Okay. Uh, so each response, no more than about 60 seconds. Here we go. Give us one book that all TD professionals must read and why. The book Resilience by Dr. Southwick and Charney. It is a very readable summary of the science behind the various skills and tools you can use to build resilience. I love that book. Okay. <laughs> Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. So it's the sphere of control, which I mentioned earlier, just a reminder to focus on what I can control and influence and accept what is outside of my control and influence. I love that sphere too. I teach it in some of my classes. Great. Okay. What is the best piece of talent development related advice you've ever been given? 
So when I was setting up my company, an ATD member advised me to maintain my narrow focus. Don't be a generalist. And so that's why I only train and consult on resilience. And when I get requests for training outside of my focus area, I refer clients to colleagues. And wow, by keeping this narrow focus, I became known as an expert. And of course, during this last year, that's been particularly valuable. So maintain your narrow focus. Don't be a generalist. I love that. And I have to say it's working because when people say, hey, you know anyone in the chapter who is a resilience expert? Immediately, Beth Payne comes to mind. (laughs) There you go. Mission accomplished. (laughs) Okay. So what's the one thing you're excited about that's coming up in 2021? So I'm excited about discovering the new normal after coronavirus is no longer a grave threat. You know, we're not going to return to our old lives. But there is a new normal out there that may be even more exciting and interesting. And so I can't wait to see it. Yay. Exciting and full of opportunity. Yes. Okay. Last one. What is the one thing within the Metro DC chapter that you are deeply grateful for right now? The peer support. You know, I mentioned social support is one of the five resilience factors. Well, ATD provides this great forum for building support among my peers with all the different events and study groups and virtual meetings. It's really wonderful to have that peer support. Excellent. Thank you. You are so welcome. Beth, we are so grateful that you joined us today to share some of your wisdom and your time with us. We just can't thank you enough for all you've been able to inspire in us and uh, to get us thinking about. It's such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was excellent, Beth. Thank you. Very, very timely, too. And yeah, of course, a huge thank you to my co-hosts as well. It was great chatting with you. I can't wait to see you in person. Agreed. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. And many thanks to all of you and our community for joining us and for listening today. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Do you want to know how our members have leveraged resources that we share and how you can benefit from that as well? Go to dcatd.org forward slash spotlight. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review.